Welcome to Dispatches, the official podcast for the Journal of the American Revolution. The Journal of the American Revolution publishes weekly online at www.allthingsliberty.com. For the latest in research, reviews, and commentaries, America's Most Important History is available free of charge at the Journal of the American Revolution. And I think my book, with the different decisions that were made by the Frank brothers, kind of opens up a prism for individuals to learn what was going on with in the minds of free blacks during this time period. That's author Shirley L. Green discussing her new book, Revolutionary Blacks, Discovering the Frank Brothers, Freeborn Men of Color, Soldiers of Independence. And she's our guest today. I'm Brady Kreitzer, and this is Dispatches. This episode is sponsored by the Small Battle Series, with two new releases, The Battle of Musgrove's Mill, 1782, by John Buchanan, and The Battle of Harlem Heights, 1776, by David Price. Available now wherever books are sold. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of Dispatches. I'm your host, Brady Kreitzer. Today our guest is author Shirley L. Green, discussing her new book, Revolutionary Blacks, Discovering the Frank Brothers, Freeborn Men of Color, Soldiers of Independence. Shirley and I will have a ranging discussion this evening on a topic that I think very few Americans are familiar with. That is to say, the service of African American men during the American Revolution. Now, Shirley's new book is very fascinating because it's a divergent story. It's a story of two brothers, William and Benjamin Frank, and their very different stories of their participation in the war. Although they'll both begin serving in Rhode Island by the end of the war, one brother will depart for Canada and the other will stay in the new United States. So sit back, relax, and enjoy our interview with Shirley L. Green. Shirley Green, thank you for joining us. Hey, thank you for inviting me. Tell us about your background. Well, I was born and raised in Toledo, Ohio, which is in Northwest Ohio. Um, It's my father's hometown. He was a police officer, and I followed in his footsteps, and I became a police officer, and I served with the Toledo Police Department for about 26 years. Um, After early retirement, I went back to school, and I obtained my master's degree at the University of Toledo, the hometown school, and I got my Ph.D. at Bowling Green State University. My mother uh, was born and raised in Lynn, Massachusetts, so she's an East Coast person, where she was. Uh, both of my parents attended Wilberforce University, which is a HBCU, which is located in central Ohio. Um, they met there. Um, they got married. They moved and settled in Toledo, Ohio. So that's the background. Shirley, what first drew your interest into this topic? I was trying to understand and document my mother's family's history. Um, Her maiden name is Franklin. And I was trying to understand and research uh, the family's history, particularly in the revolutionary era. So my book is about the results of that search. And that uh, search and the book is rooted in the Franklin oral history. And the oral history is that the first Franklin male came to America from Africa by way of Haiti 
as an enslaved man who eventually gained his freedom and that two of his descendants who were freeborn brothers fought together during the Revolutionary War as part of the Black Regiment, which was part of the Continental Army. And that's how I got my start um, in this project. Shirley, how do you think most people view African-American participation in the Revolutionary Era? That's a great question. It really is. Um, And that's another reason that I wrote the book, because I believe that the traditional narrative regarding African-American participation generally kind of revolves around individuals like Crispus Attucks, who was killed at the Boston Massacre and is generally known as the first person who to die in the American Revolution as an American, as a patriot. And then you have individuals like Richard Allen, who is a, was a minister and was the founder of the AME Church, the first black church in the United States, African Methodist Episcopal Church. You also have other individuals like Prince Hall, who was the founder of Black Freemasonry, um, and he also served during the Revolutionary War. And of course, Phyllis Wheatley, who is the famous poet um, who wrote the famous poem about George Washington during the Re- American Revolution. Regarding the service of black soldiers, you have historians who have focused primarily on how enslaved men served in the Continental Army in exchange for their freedom. And um, that story is part of the story of the formation of the Black Regiment, which is a component of the Franklin Oral history. Um, Regarding freeborn men and freed blacks, historians have basically assigned them, for the most part, the role of being bystanders. They're this small group, um, a small cluster of people who are waiting for their numbers to be increased by the first great wave of emancipation that occurred during and after the American Revolution. So their story has not been told, and my book tries to focus on that. Shirley, can you tell us about the Frank brothers? What's their background? Okay, so uh, what is really interesting about I'm going to back up here a little bit. What is really interesting about the Franklin oral history is that the oral history was told to me by my uncle, whose name has been Franklin. All right. So uh, I always found that ironic, ironic about the story. But uh, William and Ben Frank, the two young men that I focus on in the book, resided in a small town uh, of Johnston, Rhode Island, before the war, at the beginning of the war. William was the oldest brother. Ben was the youngest. They had a younger sister um, who was named Hannah. Um, Their father, who was listed as the head of the household in the 1774 Rhode Island Colonial Census, his name was Rufus Frank. I have not been able to, and this is frustrating for me, but I have never been able to identify his wife or the mother of the Frank brothers. But anyway, back to Rufus Frank, the head of the household in 1774. He served with the Providence um, Militia during the French and Indian War. After the war, he settled his family in Johnston, Rhode Island. And uh, their family was only one of seven black free households in Johnston, Rhode Island. There were other free blacks, Franks, that resulted in Providence, Rhode Island, and Johnston, Rhode Island as well. And the men that led those households also served in the militia and the French and Indian War. For instance, there was an individual by the name of Andrew Frank who died 
1755, but he was recognized uh, upon his death as being a veteran of the colonial war. So you had the Frank brothers, William and Ben, coming out of this family that already had a tradition of military service. There was also another individual who resided in uh, Providence, Rhode Island, two generations before William and Ben Frank. And that individual I write about in the book, and he is called in five different documents, Frank Negro. And I have not been able to connect this individual uh, through the documentation to William and Ben Frank and their father, Rufus Frank. But I believe he may have been one of the ancestors of the Frank brothers. And he, in the documents, appears to have been enslaved to a family um, in Rhode Island, gains his freedom, and eventually sets out on his own. And I believe that his first name, Frank, became the surname of the Frank families that followed him in uh, colonial and revolutionary uh, Rhode Island. Talk a bit about the first and second Rhode Island, if you could. What made them special? The first and second Rhode Island regiments were unique for a variety of reasons. Um, They came into existence or they were reorganized in January of 1777. Um, The first Rhode Island regiment was placed under the command of an individual by the name of Christopher Green. Um, Now, when he was promoted to be the colonel of the 1st Rhode Island Regiment, he wasn't physically there because he had been captured in the ill-fated uh, Canadian expedition that was led by uh, Benedict Arnold earlier in the war. But he was released from his captivity, and he did take charge of the regiment by August of 1777. The 2nd Rhode Island Regiment was under the command of Colonel Israel Angel, And that is the regiment that William and Ben enlisted in in the spring of 1777. What is interesting about these two regiments is that they reflected the diversity of Rhode Island. Both of the regiments were composed of white, black, and indigenous people. And the majority of the men that the Franks served with as infantrymen came from the laboring class. So they were all looking for, regardless of their race or ethnicity, They were all looking for economic opportunities that military service could provide them. And particularly for free men of color, they were looking for equal opportunities, and the Franks did receive the same amount of pay and assignments as white soldiers in both of those regiments. Shirley, how would you describe the Frank brothers' military service? I know that's a big ask, considering it's a big part of your book. So, uh... The bulk of the book is about their military service, so um, I'm not going to go into great detail here, but I just kind of want to hit some of the highlights. And I think the first thing that I have to talk about is how they became members of the Rhode Island Regiment. Early on during the war, um, General Washington restricted the recruitment and enlistment of black soldiers especially when he took command of the Continental Troops in July of 1775. He instructed uh, recruiting officers not to enlist blacks. Now, the policy would change, and uh, the policy changed for a variety of reasons. One of the reasons that the policy changed was because an individual who was a royal governor of Virginia by the name of Lord Dunmore issued a proclamation in November of 1775 saying that if black men 
enslaved black men came to the British cause, they could earn their freedom. And as a result of that, and also at the request of command officers who wanted to enlist black soldiers, General Washington and the Continental Congress changed the, uh, the enlistment restriction to allow uh, free black veterans who had already served in the militia and as part of the Army of Cambridge to be re-enlisted. And that policy changed in January of 1776. The following year, the policy changed once again. And in 1777, at the beginning of the year, General Washington allowed for the enlistment of free blacks. And that is when um, William and Ben Frank were able to enlist in the 2nd Rhode Island Regiment. Um, So for a year, they were serving in integrated um, regiments. They fought in one major battle. And they also (laughs) survived the often disease-ridden camp life. They also survived the lack of pay. They also survived uh, poor equipment during their first year of service. They also survived uh, the tough encampment at Valley Forge during the winter of 1777 to 1778. And it's the result of that encampment that caused a realignment and segregation of the Rhode Island regiments. During that particular encampment, and it is well known about how tough it was during that uh, particular battle, I mean, excuse me, during that particular winter encampment, um, the Rhode Island regiments, the 1st and 2nd, were severely reduced. And they were reduced because of death and disease and desertion. And they barely had enough soldiers to form one regiment. So at this point, their general commander, a guy by the name of James Varnum, recommended to General George Washington that a regiment of enslaved men could be raised um, from the state of Rhode Island. So uh, General Washington agreed, and the Rhode Island General Assembly passed something called the Slave Enlistment Act in February of 1778. Um, And that included um, allowing the enlistment of a formerly enslaved black and indigenous people. And when these individuals, um, these formerly enslaved individuals, along with some free blacks and Native Americans who also enlisted during this period of time, um, when they were incorporating the formerly enslaved into the ranks of the Rhode Island, the existing Rhode Island regiments, that's when the regiments became segregated. They moved, transferred all of the white soldiers into the 2nd Rhode Island Regiment and transferred all of the Blacks and Indigenous uh, soldiers into the 1st Rhode Island Regiment, including the Frank Brothers. And that's when they became known as the Black Regiment. And as the Black Regiment, they fought in the only major battle on Rhode Island soil. It was called the Battle of Rhode Island. They suffered uh, some losses there as well. Um, After that battle, they were assigned to shore patrol in their home state. And that is when the younger brother did something that only younger brothers can do. He actually got married during war. Um, He married a young lady by name of Sarah Wilbur. Um, She was the mother of one child, a little boy. And um, he now, Ben, Ben Frank now had to not only deal with tough camp life, battles, He also had to deal with trying to support a very young family. Shirley, I found it very interesting that 
these men will ultimately go their separate ways. Could you talk about that? Yeah, yes. That was the um, really interesting part of the story for me. And But that was the part of the story that explained my family's, uh, my mother's family's uh, origins being in Nova Scotia. And um, when I initially heard the oral history from my uncle Ben Franklin, I asked him how my grandfather, my mother's father, we called him Pa, how his family arrived in Nova Scotia, Canada. And my uncle Ben told me that the oral tradition, that two brothers, the last name of Frank, fought in the Black Regiment out of Rhode Island with the Continental Army. And I said, in response to him, that is a wonderful story, Uncle Ben, but that does not explain how my grandfather, my maternal grandfather's family lived, came to be in Nova Scotia. And it is the separation of these two brothers that that provides that explanation. So how do they go their separate ways? Well, first off, the, the older brother, William, stays in his service. William re-enlists after his initial service of three years. He serves until the end of the war. He even served at the Battle of Yorktown. Ben does not. Ben does not stay with Cottonelle service till the end of the war. By March of 1780, he's carried on the uh, Rhode Island muster rolls as being deserted. He deserted to the British cause leaving his wife, a child, and his brother. Why? I write a whole chapter about why I think he may have done it. Um, There are a number of various reasons that he may have left. One of them could have been his inability to support his family. One of them may have been his belief that he was receiving, or the Black Regiment now, was receiving unequal treatment since they were now segregated and segregated from the rest of the Continental Army. During the winter that, uh, during the winter encampment that Ben Frank decided to leave his service, the Black Regiment, the 1st Rhode Island Regiment, was uh, separated and not encamped with the rest of the Continental Army, and they were not encamped with the 2nd Rhode Island Regiment as well. They were isolated at home, and they were assigned to construction duties, and that is something that Ben and William and the other free, previously free men of color were not used to in terms of having that segregation from the rest of the troops. So that may have been one reason that he decided to leave. Another reason was could have been the harsh conditions at camp during that particular winter that he left. Um, there were a number of previously free uh, soldiers of color who did desert during that time period as well. Many of them returned back to service, but Ben did not. And after Ben left, um, he disappears um, from the military records for Rhode Island. I believe that he reappears as an individual by the name of Ben Frankham, who appears in something called the Book of Negroes at the end of the war. So after Ben leaves, um, like I said earlier, he disappears from the records. 
as far as I can find them. But this individual appears as Ben Frankum in the Book of Negroes at the end of the war. Um, the Book of Negroes is an inventory. It's a listing of blacks who fled to the British lines during the war. And at the end of the war, during peace talks that were going on in Paris and also in New York between General Washington and the Canadian, excuse me, the uh, British commander, General Guy Carleton, they were discussing how they were going to make restitution to um, American slaveholders uh, regarding their slaves who had, their enslaved people who had run, ran to British lines. Uh, General Carleton did basically refused to return those enslaved people back to their owners or their slaveholders. Um, and he told Washington that he would uh, reimburse them for their losses. And the way that he could do that was to take an inventory of those individuals that were with the British troops. And that inventory became the Book of Negroes. And in that book, Ben Frank calls himself Ben Frankum. And um, at the end of the war, he and 13 of, 1,300 other black loyalists leave uh, New York, Long Island, and head up to Nova Scotia. And that's how uh, my grandfather's people got to Nova Scotia. Tell us about William's post-war life. Yes. Uh, William's life is really reflects um, his father's life, Rufus's life. Um, he serves, William serves for over six years with the Continentals. Um, at the end of the war, he receives back pay. He also receives land bounty. Um, that was promised to him as part of the recruitment effort. Um, he promptly turns around and sells that his acreage to a land speculator. Um, after the war, William settles in his hometown of Johnston, Rhode Island. And according to family tradition, and I have not been able to locate William in these records, but uh, according to family tradition, William and his family moved to Louisiana. He is in the 1790 federal census living in his hometown of Johnston, Rhode Island. After that, um, I cannot find him in the Rhode Island records. And I just assume, according to family tradition, he was able to move to Louisiana. Ben's life is a, a little more difficult in Nova Scotia. Um, after he arrives there with the wave of black loyalists that uh, made their way along with other loyalists to Nova Scotia, um, he settles in a town called Birchtown, Birchtown, and Birchtown becomes the largest free black settlement in North America in the, at the, after the American Revolution. He lives there for a period of time. He remarries. He remarries, um, and he marries the daughter of another black loyalist, and he starts a family there in Nova Scotia. He again changes his name in the records. So he goes from Ben Frank to Ben Frankum, as he's listed in the Book of Negroes, and in the rest of the paperwork in Nova Scotia and land allotments and uh, census records, he is listed as Ben Frank Franklin. Um, he and his family lived there. Um, he lived there until his death in the early 1800s. Um, he has uh, a number of children after that. 
and um, his children marry into the family of other black loyalists in, in uh, Nova Scotia. Uh, my grandfather is a direct descendant of Ben Franklin, and um, he eventually moved back to the United States and eventually moved to Lynn, Massachusetts, which is where my mother is from. Shirley, how does this book help us understand the Revolutionary Era better? Yeah, um, another great question. Um, my book is not only a family history, but it's also a micro history because it looks at the Frank brothers and their family and their experiences, but their experiences help to look at and explain the experiences of other free people of color during that period of time. And I think my book will help um, teach people more about uh, the patterns of manumissions for enslaved people in colonial Rhode Island. Um, It allows for a different perspective in terms of why men would decide to serve with the Continental Army. It also talks about and helps to provide a perspective of how African-Americans made their allegiances during the Revolutionary War. Um, Historian Ira Berlin argues that during the war that uh, enslaved people, if you were enslaved, you would choose the side that promised you your freedom and liberty. If you were already free, then you would choose the side that would give you equality. And I think my book, with the different decisions that were made by the Frank brothers, kind of opens up a prism for individuals to learn what was going on with in the minds of free blacks during this time period. Also, um, whenever I tell my story about the Frank brothers, uh, particularly in classroom settings, um, the students are become more engaged in their own family history, right? I think sometimes when you talk to students about early American history, they don't think it really affects them. Um, but what I can trace my, because I can trace my family all the way back to the American Revolution, it kind of encourages other students and other people in general to try to understand what their family members were doing um, during that time period as well. Shirley Green, thanks again. All right. Thank you. Thank you for having me. The music played in this episode include works by Kevin McLeod and the Sturbridge Colonial Militia. Any unauthorized reproduction or use of this podcast, without the express written permission of the Journal of the American Revolution, is strictly prohibited. For everyone here at Dispatches, I'm Brady Kreitzer saying so long.